0: launch and optimize web pages fast. That means you can set ambitious marketing goals and your site can rise to that challenge. Learn why teams like Dropbox, IDEO, and Orange Theory all trust Webflow to achieve their most ambitious goals today at webflow.com. So what was the first brand when you were a small kid growing up in Philadelphia that made an impact on you? I remember growing
1: up, laying in my bed, listening to the Phillies play on the, the radio. I don't know if that's the right answer to your question, but it was, I, I would lay in bed and go, Phillies. I want to be a Philly. And I, I didn't actually play baseball. So that was a limiting ambition. But but I just looked at it and I was like, there was a glow to it. There was an emotion. I couldn't wait to go to bed as a kid and listen to the games. Like I think that was the first time I really realized that this this thing that I didn't know how to do was something that was drawing me in and getting me
0: really excited emotionally. Hi, I'm Jim Stengel, and I help major brands find their purpose and activate it, and the profits follow. For seven years, I was the global marketing officer for Procter & Gamble, where I oversaw the marketing of hundreds of brands. You may not know it, but the CMOs, the chief marketing officers of all of your favorite brands, are trying to connect you with your favorite products and services through purpose. And on this show... I delve into how they do it. Today, my guest on the CMO Podcast is Quinn O'Brien, Worldwide Group President of Global Marketing and Brand at Lenovo, the $51 billion multinational technology company with 54,000 employees. Lenovo is the global leader in computer sales by units and is the largest smartphone company in China. Quinn has been with Lenovo since 2013, but he started his career as a receptionist for a marketing agency in Boston. He once aspired to be Arnie Becker from L.A. Law, but thanks to a wise college professor at Boston College, his priorities shifted and he launched his career in the marketing world. Quinn spent 20 years at marketing agencies, 11 of those at Ogilvy. He has pioneered brand purpose at Lenovo. We'll talk about his purpose journey and more. And remember, this is COVID time. We are still recording from home, so you may hear a few dogs barking and doors slamming. This is my conversation with Quinn O'Brien. Welcome, Quinn, to the CMO podcast. You know, your name sounds a bit Irish, but Mm -hmm. if I have it right, you were actually born in Canada. Your dad is from Australia. He was a semi pro rugby player and a business exec. Your mom is from a small town in England, and you moved to the US when you were about four. Is that correct? Is that about right? Yeah.
1: Yeah. there, there, There definitely is Ireland in my past. It leads to a lot of family conflict because there's a debate about which side they were on when they came to Australia. My grandparents vow that we were uh, guards, not prisoners. So uh, it's it's way back, way back. But but when I'm asked about my heritage, it's Australian and English, definitely.
0: Yeah, yeah, very good. Well, you know, we have a bit of a shared history. So my mom and dad met in Philadelphia, and I was raised about 60 miles west of Philly. And you grew up in Philadelphia, correct? Yeah, I did. So what? I did. I grew fate? up just
1: what? outside, just outside Willow Grove, right where the mall Yeah, sure,
0: sure. So, what's your favorite thing about Philadelphia? Philadelphia Eagles. Oh, really?
1: 100%. Oh my God! Yeah, they're a very tough team to love, but I've I've loved the Philadelphia Eagles. i married, a Philadelphia Eagles fan. We're raising fans, so. Yeah, uh, they're it, followed by cheesesteaks, so cheesesteaks come in a close second. Cheesesteaks
0: and eagles, that's very typical Philadelphia. I'd have to say um, my favorite is Tasty Cakes.
1: Okay, there you go, yeah, very well. Yeah. Very well. Yeah, the, the food and sports in Philly are somewhat unique, I think. Yeah, Yeah, for sure, for sure.
0: I grew up on it as well. And I also loved visiting, you know, Independence Hall and Liberty Bell. And my, yeah. my brother had an office overlooking the Liberty Bell for many years. And, you know, oh, wow. it's That's just it's a, it's a very special feeling. So the yeah. other, the other uh, bit of shared history is you talk to your kids about your job and about branding and marketing as a way to yeah. stay in touch. I do the mm-hmm. same. And I've taken my kids, I took my daughter to Cannes many years for the festival to get her opinion on, on what she was seeing. So what's their, what's been their best advice to you about branding and marketing, your two daughters?
1: Um, they give me a lot of advice on how to do social better than we do. So there's a lot about the channel, about the media, about, you know, TikTok and kind of the more progressive, some of the even more progressive channels that are out there, um, And there's a lot of like, dad, it would be much cooler if you were on TikTok and those sort of conversations as they were when they were younger. Now they're teenagers and they're starting to get to really understand brands. And, you know, they're asking me, so what does Lenovo stand for? Like, because I'm always preaching that you've got to be polarizing. You've got to stand for Mm -hmm. something. And they're asking me, what does Lenovo stand for? And I tell them and they say, well, that's not very interesting. And I'm like, all right. well, if you were an IT decision maker, you might find that interesting. And they're like, yeah, but if you want to become a, a kind of a true global brand, you really have to be more interesting. And So they, they keep it real for me. They kind of bring me out of those conference rooms where we sit and talk about target segmentation and all of these, you know, kind of gorpy marketing branding things. And just bring it into reality of they are at the end of the day they're our customer we we own Motorola we sell Motorola phones and you know they're going out and buying their first phones and they they want to understand if Motorola's from Lenovo what does that mean Why is that better than just you know just a Motorola uh, why is it better than Samsung why is it better than apple so it's um that that's kind of what, it's kind of why I talk to them one is definitely to stay connected the other is that They just give me a really fresh, raw kind of clean take on, on whatever I'm saying. They call BS on me quite quickly. Uh, they, they cut through the marketing speak very quickly. So it's, um, it's a really nice litmus test for anything that I'm trying to do.
0: Yeah, I agree with that. I've done it for years. And I think the latest one for my kids, it's just about, you know, act on your values, act on your values, you know, um, Get off the sideline. Have a point of view. Uh, get involved in positive change. You know, in in the way that's natural for your company or for me, clients that I'm working with. So, but I think yeah, it's a good you, you, it's a good you, habit you, for anyone who has kids. Talk to them a lot yeah, about what what's going on.
1: You know, it's funny because we spend so much time looking at at research results, looking at data, looking at you know focus groups, and you you get this. A mantra in your head that you know purpose-driven brands are what are critical in the world today, and I think it's easy to have that start not meaning anything, where you start to go, all right, so uh, we need to be a purpose-driven brand. We need a purpose. We're going to publish our purpose. Everyone's going to be aligned around the purpose, and then you talk to that that younger generation, and you realize that it's not about the tagline. It's not about anything like that. It's truly how you act in the world and what are you doing. And they couldn't care less. My kids couldn't care less what the tagline is on the ads. They actually couldn't really care less what the ads look like. Mm-hmm. They're, they're much more into, what do I see Lenovo doing in my world? And here in the US, I know you run it globally, but forget about global. What are you doing here in the US to tackle racism, to to you know tackle the US-China trade issues that are in the news? What's your perspective on politics as a brand? Things like that, where you go, all right, this is coming from my... 15 year old daughter, my son, 16 year old daughter, like these are, these are what really matters to the consumers today who are, who are in the workforce and growing up as, as leaders. So again, it just keeps that, where it's easy to fall into purpose becoming one more deliverable on a marketing checklist. Yeah. I think they help to keep it real.
0: Yeah, well, we're gonna talk about a lot of that, but the last piece of shared history, I don't know if you knew this, but I was on the board of Motorola when I did we, not know that. I was on the board of Motorola before the split. So I was part of the board decision to split the company in two. One, half of it, as you know, is Motorola Solutions, which is a B2B company. The other was Motorola Mobility. And I joined that board then, which we then sold to Google. And you subsequently purchased it from Google. So my one question for you is, uh, that was a crazy board, a board experience. How's the brand doing? It was always so strong in China. had such a strong brand equity. Is it still strong?
1: The Lenovo brand or the Motorola brand?
0: Motorola brand
1: Motorola brand, yeah, it does, it's it is really strong in certain markets. Um, there's where particularly Latin America, it's incredibly strong. Um, China, there's a real it, the Chinese consumers have a really interesting way of thinking about brands and looking at brands, and Motorola is one that that really resonates with them, which is good. Um, In the US, we're still working to kind of bring it back. The business is good. But from a brand perspective, I think there's still such uh, memories of what Motorola was like back when the Razor was coming out uh, the last time and with Hello Moto and everything that the the perception at least is that the brand isn't quite up to where it used to be um, in the US. And so yeah, it's, got, it's definitely got pockets around the world where the brand is really strong and making a difference. Um, the products are excellent. So the products are actually helping to, to push that up even higher. But it's a day-to-day struggle to make sure. It's like, I mean, you know this better than anyone, to, to really understand what impact a brand like that can have on the premium of a product and how to, to, to take sure. something like the new Razor, which is a really beautiful flip phone, and and take it up to that next level justify the cost position it well against the competition all those things that come from a brand like motorola you have to bring to bear so it's um it's good i mean we had a lot of conversations i mean you saw the front end of that journey coming from big motorola through google then into lenovo there were a lot of conversations early days about um what we should do with the brand, what we should do with the back wing, the, uh, the iconic logo, what we should do with the name even, should it be Motorola, should it be Moto? So there was a real step way back to look at it. And and when we did the research, what we found was there's so much equity in, in the name, in some of the products, in the back wing, that we just kind of charged forward with it um, as is.
0: Yeah, I think that's a courageous decision because it probably would have been easy to just say, let's fold it. And then I think it is, there's a lot of latent equity in the brand. I, I love that you brought back Razor. I, okay. I, I, would, I joined the board when Razor One was coming out. It was, it was such an exciting time. So, And the products have always been good and they remain excellent.
1: Yeah, I worked at Ogilvy. Um, I didn't work on Motorola, but I worked there during the time when Ogilvy was doing a lot of that with Jeffrey Frost, doing a yeah, lot of that. Yeah. Um, the original Hello Moto work. And so I saw it kind of from afar because I was working on IBM, but I was, I knew the Moto team, and I was so jealous of that work. I mean, it was just it was a great product, with a client who really understood how to buy and shape really good work. And you just looked at it, and you were like, oh, "This is this is a moment in time," and it was yeah. really cool to see. And it's it, you know. I personally have been saying, all right, how do we bring back to that feeling where it, it is an iconic brand with a product no one else has seen, and it's just killing it in the world. And we're getting there, but it's um, it's a different world nowadays, yeah. so right. it's, it's right. more challenging.
0: Yeah, Jeffrey Frost, for our listeners, was uh, the CMO at Motorola. He passed away young, passed away suddenly, uh, but he was one of those CMOs who just knew how to elicit incredible creativity yeah. from his team, his internal team and his external teams. He had a a gift for that, like few as few people have.
1: yeah, yeah, it's, I, I've only had a couple of those moments throughout my career um, on the agency side, different now that I'm on the corporate mm-hmm. side, but but on the agency side, there were a couple of moments where I can now look back on it and realize how special they were, but where you had you had a product that was worthy of what you were going to go and do. You had a, a client who recognized that, realized that, and in some ways knew when to engage, when to step back. And then you had a team on the agency side who was just just dialed in to an insight. And we did that on Volkswagen a long time ago. I saw it happen on Dove, saw it happen on Moto. And we did a bit of it on IBM. Like These were These are moments, I mean, I've been doing this for a long time. Uh, These are moments where you look at it and go, ah, that that was something uh, at that point everything kind of came together.
0: Yeah. You have such an interesting career and you mentioned many of the brands that you've worked on. So before we get too far into this podcast, I want to tee up a couple big, big concepts in branding and marketing. And the first one I want to tee up is this whole concept of brand. And the second concept is brand purpose. And the third concept is emotional intelligence. So we're going to talk about all three of those. And the first one I want to start with is brand. And I've heard you talk about your concept of what kind of brand is. And I've heard you talk about brand is sort of the DNA of a company.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: You know, what makes you different as an organization? Be yourself. Don't try to be someone else. And that should be your ultimate differentiation. So I... You know, it's not about ads, it's not about slogans, it's not about campaigns, even not about products. It's about the DNA of the organization. So, I want you to expand on that a little bit and how you came through your interesting career to that point of view about what's this concept of a brand all about.
1: It's a really good question. Uh, you know, I, so I look at I look at the process of branding as not being. Um, creating something new—it's about exposing something that exists. So it's really about that, it, exactly how you said it. How do you look at the really true essence of a company, and um, and peel back all of the noise and the layers to get down to what is the what are the things that make this company truly this company that on its best day make it just a fabulous place to work at and we when i started at lenovo we went on that quest and it was it was a lot of internal interviews to just asking people on your best day at this company what is it that you love what is that thing that that you love that that made you so proud to work here and a lot of times it's really hard because they're like, well, wow, you know, there's all sorts of stuff, and there's this, and there's that, and I've had kind of a crappy day, and a bad week, and a you know tough year, and and you go, yeah, yeah but but on your best day, and you keep bringing them back to that point, and then you start hearing a consistent thread from people, um, and it can be as simple as, you know, there, there's a culture of respect here, and when you start hearing that over and over again, you go, all right, so that's something. That's in the fabric of the company because I'm hearing it over and over again. And there's a there's a commitment to diversity. And these are things that you don't quite know what to do with at the time, but you just kind of sock them away. And then when you're done, you've got a list of things that truly are kind of the essence of the company. And none of them are sexy. None of them are, you know, ready to go out and say this is our thing. But but you've you've suddenly dug under all the covers and you really understand what the company is. And I think. The reason it's so important to do it that way is because at the end of the day, when you do actually go out to the world with a brand positioning, uh, the, the only way, particularly in today's world, uh, when you've got you know, consumers like our kids who are are keeping brands honest, the only way you can actually succeed is if every employee in the company is kind of living that thing, and that's not about training them. That's about having done the work to get to the point where, where the average employee recognizes what you're talking about. You're going out with a brand positioning and saying, hey, this is what we stand for. This is what we're about as a company. And you know, the, the mid-level employee in some market goes, yeah, you know what? That's right. That feels right. And they don't have to act. There's no, you're not asking 50,000 people to act in a certain way and saying, all right, we're about this. And everyone's like, Okay, we'll try to be about that. That that never works, particularly in large global companies. So it really is about boiling, boiling. It's a reduction process about boiling it down. And then once you get to that essence, then it's about figuring out, all right, how do you deliver it out to the world in really compelling ways? But it's all got to start with that that peeling it back down to that core.
0: We've all been there. You spend millions of dollars each year driving traffic to your company's website, and then the results come in and they're just not what you hoped. On top of that, 81% of marketing leaders say website ownership is a challenge. So, what do you do? Well, you switch to Webflow. Let me tell you why. Webflow's visual-first platform empowers your team to own your company's most valuable, dynamic marketing asset, your website. From launching a new site to optimizing for SEO and conversions, Webflow gives you the tools you need to drive business growth fast. Unlock your website's full potential when you build, manage, and host with Webflow. Get started today at webflow.com. Well, this is a segue into this topic of brand purpose, which obviously is closely related to concept of brand. So I want you, you've already mentioned this journey you took at Lenovo. You know, I've heard you also talk about startups. You had some involvement in startups you still do, how it's easy for them to act on brand purpose. It's more complicated with an established, large, global company. I'd like you to take us through this journey on brand purpose at Lenovo. You know, you're 50,000 plus, you have a lot of engineers. I've done brand purpose work in tech companies with lots of engineers. They're wonderful, they make the world better, but they're a skeptical bunch. They are. They are. So tell us what, you, what the journey has been like and how you managed to kind of reveal yeah. this DNA, what you did with it, how it comes to life within Lenovo, what others could learn from you.
1: So, so I describe the journey. I don't know if you ski, but I, I, I grew do. up skiing. And I describe it as skiing moguls in a blizzard. And the key is when it's snowing that hard and you've got that tough of a terrain. The key is not to figure out where the finish line is and focus on the finish line because otherwise you're just going to run into a tree. The key is to look down in front of you, make sure your skis are pointing downhill and tackle each thing that comes up. And that's, that's the way we went about it. It's interesting. It, it came out of a, it actually came out of a training class. It was a executive level training class at Lenovo where we went out to Silicon Valley. We brought together, you know, probably about 12 people from around the world went to Silicon Valley for a week and. You know, went to Stanford, did their design thinking course uh, or like mini mini course, uh, and then went and met with a number of entrepreneurs at, at very different stages. Of, you know, a guy with a business plan, all the way up to kind of a you know a post-IPO place, and talked to each of them about what it was that that enabled them to be successful. And each one came back to we've got. They they said that they use different terms, but each one essentially came back to we've got a very clear purpose. And they did. I mean, it's a Silicon Valley thing. Like, you know, they were they were super clear about it. And we rapidly realized we did not have that. And um, so we came out of that course, and I came back with the mission to say, all right, we're going to uncover what Lenovo's brand purpose is. And it's it's challenging, as you said. I mean, it's fifty thousand people. Its majority are engineers. It's a lot of. Um a lot of cultural diversity, so you know my boss is in China, so it's pitching to a lot of people late at night in in you know uh, a language that isn't their first language, so the nuance of language is tough so we we really did what what I said. we went back to the essence of what Lidovo stands for and um and really reduced it down, and then started a process we did it internally because we we felt like there. This is so much about who we are as a as an organization that to try to farm it out even to the best agencies in the world, there's no way that they can know the DNA. They're outside the firewall, so they can't. They can't really get that. Um, so we did it ourselves and our team, and we you know went through a process uh, that's probably a pretty standard process for just ideation and distilling it down. And we got to. We got to a really compelling space. I mean, we we got down to this idea of essentially technology for good, and it was all about how um, there's it was it was polarizing. It was what I love. It's like you know, there's there's good technology in the world. There's bad technology in the world. There's good. There's people who use it for good. There's people who use it for bad. Um, we're on the side of good, and it, it it was really timely because there were a lot of discussions going on about AI and you know, we're, we're kind of at this crossroads where AI is obviously helping our daily lives, helping our world, but it also can go really wrong. And so we wanted to be able to take a stand on that and do it. The, the, the core of our culture is that we're an engineering culture. And so it's very binary, very black and white, very much about solving problems through technology. And so the way that we were going to go and deliver technology for good was um, very much from bottoms up, really building products using technology that, that helped to improve the world and helped to build uh, and tackle these core issues that we laid out. We we're so excited about it. And um, we went in and we pitched it to the executive committee. And the discussion was really interesting because sort of like talking to my kids, they, they came at it from such a different angle and we'd been in again in our conference rooms, in the marketing team, looking at it, crafting it, you know, making sure it was in the right font and you know, as we presented it and you know, put a nice visual behind it. And we put it up there and they said, you know, someone just said, okay, so we're currently pitching this type of company. And this would mean that we're not able to do that. And I looked in and I said, yeah, uh, that would. And um, that would mean we're not able to, to do that. And there was sort of a dead silence. And it's like, all right. And someone else said, yeah, we're pitching this type of company. And, and so, you know, it, our technology could be used for, for for malintent there, possibly. So we wouldn't pitch that. And I could see where this was going. And I'm going like, yeah, technically, yes, absolutely. Yeah, it will limit us in terms of the, the opportunities that we pursue. And... um And we had a really reasonable discussion about it. I think the the thing I love about our CEO is that he deeply appreciates marketing and kind of the role of marketing. And so he was really driving a discussion to say, I get where you're going with this. Um, Is this something that we can live up to? Because if we put it out in the world, we have to live up to that. Um, And is it something that from a business perspective, we want to deliver on? and what we agreed was you know this is this is an aspiration for the future this is something we drive towards but the thing we we put out in the world has to be dialed back one level because i think one of the things about us as a company is we're we're deeply respectful of the fact that if we say something it's, it's that engineering thing if we say something we got to we got to deliver it and our our internal motto is we do what we say we own what we do so if we put something out there we've got to, to nail it So we backed it off a level and took it away from delivering technology for good to delivering smarter technology for all. And it was really about this idea of how do you make everything that we do smarter? And then how do you make sure that we're able to then give that to every human on the planet who needs it? And it it plays up two of our strengths, two of our core abilities. One is engineering innovation. We think we make the best engineered products in the world. And the second is our deeply local business model. So we're in 180 markets around the world. We grew up out of those markets. And we think that we are more local than any other global company out there. So it, it played nicely into both of those strengths. And it's, it's interesting. It's, it's done what I was talking about before, where I go out and I talk to teams around the world, not marketers, but sales teams, engineers. And I say so, you know. We actually we call it our vision rather than our purpose, but yes, our vision is smarter technology for all, and they they either immediately go, ah, makes, that's that feels right, that feels like where we're going, that feels like something we can do, or if there's a, a pause and I go, so it's really about making every product that we do smarter and then bringing it to those who need it most. Then they're like, which is kind of a longer form of it. Then they're like, got it, that makes sense. And so it's been. It was only when we, we got the executive committee to approve it and then started taking it out to the masses that we realized, all right, this, this is actually right. And it's acted as a really good frame for us to go. Obviously, smarter technology is good for our business, but if you don't keep the for all side of it on there, then you're just, you're just making money. You've got to really bring it to those who need it most. And so it forces us to think about, all right, in education, who needs smarter technology the most? How do, we, how do we then tackle that problem, bring it to that vertical? So it helps us focus a lot in terms of not only from a marketing perspective, but from a, a product development and a business perspective too.
0: Do you have any tips on how, this, how you were able to bring this to life among so many people? I mean, you've just told some stories about you, you had a very inclusive process. You talked mm-hmm. to a lot of people, a lot of interviews. You socialized it a lot. But for our listeners who are also on this journey... How did you embed it into the thinking, and the and make and ha- have everyone feel like this is their own? They can have their own personality and still live this purpose. How did you do that?
1: Yeah, it's it's a really good point. So we did two things. One is we actually have a within our culture is an amazing ability to cascade. So built into how Lenovo does things um, is a natural ability to make a decision and then cascade it out to the fifty thousand people and generally. We're pretty good at that sort of thing, so so we we were a little bit ahead of the curve once it got approved in the ability to then bring it out to people. Um, but but the second, of, all right, so how do we then? You know, we can email it out. We can you know show people what it's about. We can make a video, do all those tactical things. But to be honest, and again, this is pre-COVID, but the, it was about showing up. I mean, I have a I have a team whose job it is to manage Lenovo as a brand. And we went on the road and we went around and we met with all of our business group peers. And then we went to their staff meetings. We went to all of our, our country managers teams, went to their staff meetings. And it was just, to be honest, it was just a lot of hard work. I mean, but it's, it's about figuring out who are, the, who are the key people in each of those areas and how do you show up and, and talk them through it because, like I said, in, a, in an engineering type culture where there's not a lot of emotion, it's all very logic based and rational. If you show up and go, yeah, when you look at our brand, we need to grow our innovation. We need to grow our citizenship scores. These do that. Smarter technology for all. There's a linearity there that makes sense to a lot of engineers. And then you show it executed in ways that are you know, pretty emotional of of showing how you can use um, supercomputers to to predict weather three years out and prevent climate change disasters and these great stories where where people will then it hits the other side of their brain and they start to go oh, okay all right not only is it you know job one in Lenovo is always tick all the boxes make sure that everyone goes all right intellectually and rationally this makes complete sense and then you hit them with the emotional side and they go ah oh, this is really good too like. I get it now, So, but it was a lot of getting on planes and going places. To be yeah. honest,
0: yeah. Do you ha- do you measure it? Do you have KPIs for your purpose? Yeah,
1: yeah we look um, sort of our, our most critical uh, re- uh, KPI for the brand is around reputation. So we look at, and we we work with an agency that that tracks reputation and have got a lot of nuance to how we, we look at it. And so when we look at reputation, you know, we identified those two areas. That was part of the input into this purpose process was we have people love our products and solutions. That's one component of your reputation. But innovation is another one. Do they believe that not only are you delivering products now, but that, that you've got a pipeline and will in the future? And we looked at innovation and said, all right, we need to build that. Um, and then another aspect is citizenship. It's are you a good corporate citizen? And you know, we knew we needed to build that. So, so those were inputs going in. We knew that the the goal of this purpose or this vision was to build our reputation, and we're now able to measure in in our key markets around the world how are each of the the levers of reputation moving.
0: Yeah. Now the third area concept that I teed up for you is this area of emotional intelligence EQ. You're a big believer in that. You look for that in people. Uh, It's important for you. You've worked for a lot of bosses in your life. You've had big teams. And this is really, really important to you, I've heard you say. Tell us a little bit more why. First of all, what you see as EQ, why it's important to you, and how the heck do you hire for it? Can you train it? Is it something that's there or not there?
1: Um. It's a lot I'll, of questions no, 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 it's they're good questions. I'll do it backwards um yeah, it's there or not there, mm-hmm. so I know that's a probably not the most popular stance, but I do think that um you either have it or you don't i think there's there's different levels of it uh obviously some people are are off the charts in terms of e q but um I don't think you can train it uh so so when we're when I'm hiring, I always used to say it's funny i you know <laughs> I had an experience one time a long time ago where I went into a room, I sort of pulled into a room and said, hey, you know, the group here, can you just talk for five minutes about about your hiring philosophy? This is a group of students from a college. Like, how do you look at hiring? And I said, that, you know, first thing, I would never hire a marketing major. I just think that's, you know, I look for psych majors, anthropology majors. I look for people who really care about how people think, how people learn, how people, and there's just like, they all went white because it was a room of marketing majors, which no one had briefed me on. So, but I do believe that. I think it's, you know, in my world, in the world of particularly of branding, you want to hire people who really not only think deeply about people's emotions, about decision making and try to get in that side of the brain. But also, to be honest, part of the real skill, I think, of a marketer is to be able to empathize, is to be able to really understand. When I was, you know, I marketed mayonnaise for a while and had to really get into the head of, you know, a a woman in South America who's using mayonnaise in a really innovative way and, and figuring out how to talk to her about mayonnaise and, you know, that ability I think is so core in the top marketers in the world that that ability to be one day, all right, I'm thinking like an IT decision maker. One day I'm thinking like a mom who's trying to choose diapers for her baby. And, and to, to really, I I don't think you can learn that. I think you really need that, that EQ to be able to do that. Um, And so you asked, how do you hire for it? I, I I sit across the table from someone or I sit across a, a video conference with someone and we just talk. A lot, of our, a lot of my interviews of people, it's very frustrating, I know, to my HR partners. Um, and I always say going in, look, I'm not going to probe on this person's competency in web development, social marketing, whatever I'm interviewing them for. I'm gonna look at whether there's someone that we want on the team. And I'll, I interview for fit. And uh, I trust others to to tick all of the other boxes, but I I care deeply about fit, and it's it's tough. I mean, it, it is just a matter of sitting across from someone and getting a feel.
0: What kind of questions do you ask them when you're trying to get at that?
1: How you doing? Like I, I'm a big fan of silence. Like I like to just say, "How's it going?" and then just sort of stop and wait and see how they answer. And then just kind of go from there and just kind of pursue it and see where it goes. And it goes into, you know, I think, I think your, your way of approaching things of talking about, about my daughters, I could, it's funny when you, you asked a couple of questions and I felt like, all right, I'm in marketing guy mode. And then you said, you know, another shared connection is we talked to our kids about it. I immediately went to like dad mode rather Mm -hmm. than, marketing guy mode and, and my brain switched. like, And I think I try to get that in people. I want to see, I want to see, do you have a sense of humor? I want to see, are you, um, you know, what what do you do outside of work? I don't, I won't say I don't care what you do outside of work. I do, but I want to mm-hmm. hear how you talk about it. Like, are you passionate about stuff? Like, do you care? Like, are you, are you loose and relaxed? Are you uptight and scared? Like, I just want to get all yeah. of that emotional vibe from people because at the end of the day when you're in the trenches with someone and you're you're launching a product and you're you're go 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 and there's a lot of stress on the team and everything like that you want those people who really care about the other people on the team and who, who are genuine you don't want the people who sort of you know just have one way of doing things and can't really empathize
0: yeah, that, that's to me where tr- trust is so foundational liking the people you're with. That's yeah. that's where ideas and innovation come from. Yeah.
1: Yeah. It it's totally true. I mean the the it's funny I used to um I used to founded and then and then worked for a design agency for a couple of years and um and it was really interesting because I I hadn't really worked with designers. I'd worked with, with art directors, I'd worked with creatives, I'd worked in that kind of a general agency type of environment, but going into that graphic design world, and really, the graphic designers think so differently about problems and how to solve them, and their solutions are so different and elegant than, you know, than creatives, art directors and copywriters, and and, it was intriguing to just sit there and watch how people think and how people solve problems. And then my job is to, to, to kind of inspire that creativity, to, to push them beyond what's normal. And when you start to look at how do you inspire someone like that to be more creative, that's really interesting. I mean, that's really exciting to sit there and go, all right, I'm sitting across from a group of people. I need I need ideas to come out. How do, you, how do you do it in an environment? What do you say? How do you shape the conversation to get those innovative ideas out?
0: Yeah. What would you say is the key to success for today's CMO? If you said data, you wouldn't be the only one. At Deloitte, however, we believe data is only half of the equation. The other half, story. Because data is the language of business, but story is the language of humans. And we believe the most successful CMOs know how to harness the power of both data and story. To learn more about Deloitte's CMO program and how we can help today's CMOs succeed, visit cmo.deloitte.com. Now, we're going to talk more about your role, and I don't want you to, I don't want you to flip back into your marketing and brand no, head still da- I'm still stay, in, in, in the dad head. Stay in the dad head, okay. But you have this grand job title, Worldwide Group President, Global Marketing and Brand for one of China's top global brands, right? Yeah. You've been in the role two years, seven total at Lenovo. So talk to us a little bit about your work. I mean, what do you do? And also, you know, this is your first time working for a China-based company, and you've worked with a lot of American-based companies in your career. How's that different?
1: Okay. Uh, so what do I do? Yeah. So the, <laughs> it's interesting. I mean, it, one of the things I like about working for a global company in technology that is a, a kind of a balance of East and West. Is that that it's just the pace and the the change is constant. So it a lot of it feels like trying to keep up with what's what's happening in the world, what's happening in our company. But I mean, when I when I actually talk about what I do, part of it is strategy work. Part of it is that sort of purpose defining work of really sitting down and and continuing to look at what do we stand for in the world and where are we going? And, and trying to make that really relevant to a business audience, sales audience, engineering audience. Um, Part of it is um, very creative. So it's about how do you then take whatever you define and bring it out to the world in a way that's, you know, it's challenging. I mean, we are, we are the full range of audiences from you know the teenagers buying their first smartphone through to CEOs buying supercomputers and and so to take one promise and and then communicate that out to those audiences across really we have 12 main markets so the that range of audiences across 12 main markets that's a lot of the time uh is trying to really understand it and then I've kept the design responsibility I I loved it at my last job and so I look after um, you know, design that isn't product design. So retail stores, events, things like that. Um, so so a lot of my world is just trying to stitch those three together. How do we get the strategy through to the, the marketing that we put out into the world, the design experience that people have? Um, I've got to say the, I said to someone the other day, I was talking to them about the US-China um, dynamic. And I said, I feel like I've had a PhD in Eastern Western relationships over the last seven years, because I think that one of the things you find when you you work for a company that was born out of China, and that has a lot of executives um, who are in China, is that um, the way that Chinese executives and Chinese business people in general think about um, business, the way decisions are made, uh, the way relationships are built and trust is developed is very unique. Uh, and so as a Westerner, with a goal of saying, all right, I-, I will only succeed in this company if I build trusted relationships with our CEO, uh, with my boss, with a the range of executives, some of which are in China, some are outside of China, I've, I've dove into how do you build those relationships in China? And um, it's really hard. I think the I think the the Chinese just have a very different view on on the world, on speed, on business, um, and uh, it's it's about. We, we've always prided ourselves ever since uh, Legend, which is the precursor to Lenovo, acquired ThinkPad from IBM. Uh, we've always prided ourselves on not being Chinese not being Western, but being that that blend. And our one of our big unique things is our ability to blend East and West and how we think about the, the future, how we think about the business, all those sort of things. So there is no, I mean it's, you know, there is no simple answer to mm-hmm. uh what's it like? It's complicated. Um, it's really rewarding because when you look at it, again, I keep coming back to the fact that I've worked on a lot of brands, mayonnaise that that didn't really evolve over time. You know, mayonnaise is really good, pro mayonnaise, but kind of stays the same over time. You work in technology and you work in tech globally, particularly in a company that's kind of born out of emerging markets, and you work where there's US-China tensions, it's really interesting. and And from a brand management perspective, trying to keep one unique brand, one consistent brand image when Lenovo in China and Lenovo in rest of the world are dramatically different in how people experience them. It's complicated. Um, I don't have an easy answer as to what it's like, other than it intriguing.
0: Yeah, is relationship building more important in the Chinese culture or the American culture um, in business?
1: I think Chinese. Mm. I, I think that the, I think Chinese business people will, uh, in order for them to trust you there's a lot of relationship building that has to go on there. They're very committed to really understanding you as a, as a full human and want to know about your family and want to know about you and, and, and kind of get that EQ side of things, mm-hmm. that emotional intelligence going in there. So it's really important to them that, that you spend time together outside of work, that you show up, that all those sort of things. I think in American culture, American business culture, it's a bit less important I think you can shortcut a lot of those things, uh, and it's not a it's not an absolute mandate. I think in Chinese culture and in some Latin cultures, it's critical. You before you do business, you have to establish a a bond of trust. You have to like each other. I think that's one of the really interesting things. Is there's a real emphasis on do you like the people you work with in China? Um, and that's one of the challenges with the pandemic. To be honest, is that The inability to get on a plane and go to China for seven months has been really challenging. I mean, there's only so much relationship you can continue to build and maintain over Zoom. Yeah.
0: I want to get your perspective on one really hot issue in our industry, and that's the role of agencies. Mm -hmm. You know, what work we do inside our companies, what capabilities we build inside, and which ones we seek outside, outsource, if you will. You have 20 years in the agency business before Lenovo. And you have built a really big internal creative agency yeah. in Lenovo that's really productive, does a lot of really, really interesting work. So I would like to get your perspective on that issue. How did you make that decision? You know, what do you still seek outside versus build inside? Why did you build what you built inside? Just take us through your decision-making process.
1: It, so I joined, when I joined, like, as you said, I joined from the agency world. And uh, Lenovo had been working with the same agency for a long time, and when I came over to the brand side, uh, one of the things I started to realize was even though we'd worked with the same agency and we'd worked with the same team for a long time,
0: and this would be an ad agency when you say yeah, agency. this is an ad agency.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, they were doing all of our work globally. They just didn't get us, and it was it's hard to explain until you're sitting on the other side going there's something we always talked about is like when you carry the badge or when you're behind the firewall. First of all, you just, you live the DNA. You start to understand what it feels like to be at the brand. And if, if I'm asking an agency to do brand level work and they don't really understand what it feels like to be here, it's going to be very hard for them to do it. And then the other thing I found, which was intriguing was the blast shields go down when the agency walks in. Like what they could not get access as much as I tried to be a really good client in those first you know, six months and bring my agency partners in to meet with the product development teams and the sales leaders and just try to get them that perspective and that, that understanding of the DNA. The conversations were different when the agency was there. Uh, and part of it was, some of it was confidentiality. Most of it was they're not part of us and so we're not going to share. And so I realized pretty early on that if if we really want to live this philosophy of it's about uncovering that DNA and then having that exist in everything we do and we've got a partner who just can never understand the DNA that's not a model that's going to work. And so we started down the path of saying, all right, how do we how do we bring that that creative IP in house? And The very, the very important goal going in was to have our in-house creative agency tackle the thorniest marketing and brand challenges that the company had, and we kept that mantra there because we didn't want to become a fast-turn, low-cost versioning shop in-house who did like the tablecloths for the local events. We wanted to be the strategic creative agency who was really tackling the big things, and. and so that that was the genesis of it was going all right, and, and at the time we did have a big thorny brand challenge, which was it was right around the time of the purpose. And so it's like, how do we how do we take this smarter technology for all that is currently a statement that people are liking, and how do we start to bring it out to the world? And so we 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 had a a guy who we had brought in who was our executive creative director a couple of years below before. And he's brilliant, and so we we kind of worked to build him a team, and then had them develop the campaign. We still we, we actually flipped the normal model. We used an outside agency for all the adaptation, versioning, translation, and everything. But all of the really critical creative thinking was was done in-house. And I think it's I mean to me that's the right model. If you really are trying to build a brand or a campaign that is deeply rooted in the essence of your company, I don't think a third party can do it. And we worked, we worked through the process of looking at some of the best agencies in the world to to come and do that. And um, you know, it's not that they're not good at their their job, but it's it's black and white. You if you're not in here, you can't really get what we're about. And the core of what we want to do is communicate what we're about. So it just it didn't work, but it safeguarding that, that agency internally to make sure that it only took on the biggest, thorniest challenges has been a big part of the job as well, because the tendency internally is to go, it's cheap. It's free.
0: Right. They're good.
1: Yeah. We should use them for all this stuff.
0: Yeah. So what do you outsource? What, what are the most important things you still find external partners are complement you well in doing?
1: Yeah. Um, uh, we outsource a lot of the work that we turn away from the in-house group. So we outsource a lot of the the product marketing, the actual speeds and feeds marketing, a lot of almost all of the demand generation that we do. We outsource all media, not, not all media, most media right now. Um, so we've, I always said, which is, was, was always, uh, not a, it was a bit of a controversial statement internally, which is, My goal is not to scale my group. And that because I want to keep them very focused on the one or two things that matter most to the company. And in a company that's super ambitious and all about scale, to go in and go, hey, we've got this thing. We're not going to scale it. Everyone's like, Are you insane? No, go, go, go. You know, it's like, no, stay, stay, stay. Like, you know, keep it, keep it small and powerful. So um, we only handle the, the high-level brand work in-house. We don't do anything else, really.
0: Got it. Quinn, this is such a good conversation, but I do need to build in some time for our last section, which is the lightning round, where we get to know you as a human being a bit better and get your sp- perspective on some key issues. And The first question is a fun one. I hear you worked on one of the first online banner ads. I did. What was the ad?
1: So If I remember right, it was Prodigy which I would struggle to even explain what Prodigy was back then. Um, and it, were, it was simply to say the word Prodigy. And it we had a color palette of, I think, six colors that we could use. We had one font. I think we were back in the, you know, AOL days mm-hmm. of, you know, dial-up modems that made a, a cool noise. And it was the biggest project in the agency. I mean, this was a a banner and everyone, no one knew what that was. And we had one guy who did and he was, everyone convened on him or converged on him. And uh, we were so excited to produce this. I think mean, it was like a 468 by 60 banner and everyone was learning and excited. And we pushed it and we're like, all right, someone go on the internet and see if it's there. And it was there. And we were like, oh my God, we've got something on the internet. And this was back when I mean, this was back right when email came out and we were, we our MCI was a big telecom company and we Mm -hmm. we had them as our client and we had MCI mail and um, we were just, we had one terminal in the office where you could use email, one terminal where you could look at the internet. And it was just, but, but I mean, we were the most progressive, innovative crew in our own mind. Like we were doing stuff,
0: but you were,
1: we were, it was funny. It's funny looking back on it now. It's all perspective.
0: What's the most notable thing you've listened to, watched, read recently that's had sort of an impact on you? Book, series, movie.
1: So I am a I am a Simon Sinek junkie. So mm-hmm. he's a he's a brand thinker and strategist, yep. and uh, I listened to. He's got a podcast out now, and I listened to his one of his episodes. And it was interesting because I've I've. You know, when I when I want to explain brands to someone, but I don't want to do it myself, I want a, a different. I play some of his stuff for people so that they listen to it. And I started listening to his podcast because, you know, I just he helps me shape how I think about branding. And then I realized it wasn't about branding really. I mean, at its heart, it probably is, but it's about optimism. It's about and he was he was um, telling the story with his sister. Of the a uh, really tragic event that happened in his sister's life that really affected him as well. And it was the first episode I listened to, and it was just captivating. Like I, I sat in my car, and it was all about. It's the, the podcast is about optimism, so it was all about how you recover from that and go on to be someone who helps others manage through that type of grief. And uh, it's not the type of stuff I normally listen to, and it was it just floored me. I was sitting just in my car for about a half hour, just listening to it. And it really kind of had an emotional impact on me. And I didn't, it it was wonderful because I didn't expect it going in. I'm like, all right, I'm going to go, you know, do a little work homework and listen to some branding stuff. And I came out of it going, oh, God, that was, that was powerful. So that, that had a, it's always nice to just get out of your comfort zone, I think, and just do something that's, that, that you never thought you would like, even if it's just completely unexpected it gets the juices going again.
0: He'll love hearing this and he's remained a humble guy despite all of his success. He'll, he'll love the story. I'll make sure he hears it.
1: Yeah. He's, he's, yeah, I think he's brilliant.
0: Yeah. Quinn, last question. Who would be interesting for you to listen to on the CMO podcast?
1: You know, you know who I think would be really good. There's a guy, David Roman, who he was, I don't know if you know him, He was Steve Jobs' head of advertising. Uh, And I used to work for David. I worked for David for about five years. Um, He is one of the most unique thinkers I've met. I learned so much from working for him uh, about marketing, about branding, about his experiences at Apple with Steve. And um, he just takes a, a very contrarian view a lot of times to the way that the world of marketing is going today. Um, and I've found from knowing him really well that he's generally right. And you know, he goes, it's very Steve Jobs. He goes off his gut on things. He doesn't believe as much in data as he does in instinct. And it's, a, it's, it's probably a different point of view than you get from a lot of people. Um, and it's deliver. it'll be delivered in a really entertaining, engaging, fun way.
0: How can we not have him on now? <laughs> <laughs> He's We've right. got to give him a call. No, it's a great. And no one's brought his name up. So it's, okay. uh, that's a first. And it, it sounds wonderful. So thank you for that. Quinn, this has been a remarkable conversation uh, full of EQ. And IQ and everything else. Probably
1: more EQ, if we're being honest,
0: but it's all good. No, that's good though. And uh, no, I just went to some places I didn't expect, and that's always the best thing about it. So thanks for your generosity, uh, and thanks for being with us today. Thanks, Jeff. That was my conversation with Quinn O'Brien. Three things really stood out for me in this remarkable conversation. First, the way Quinn talks about how he hires for emotional intelligence. We all say we like to do that. He gave practical tips on how to do that. The second thing that I thought stood out was the discussion about Chinese versus American leadership, management, what's important in both cultures and business, hugely helpful. And the third thing that stood out for me was the purpose journey that Quinn took Lenovo on, he and his team. It's one of the best stories we've had on this podcast about bringing purpose to life with a large organization. That's it for this episode of the CMO Podcast. If you found this helpful and entertaining, I would be so grateful if you could share our show with your friends. And I would be super happy if you subscribed so you can be updated as we publish new episodes. And if you really want to help, leave us a five-star rating and a positive review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. The CMO Podcast is a Gallery Media Group original production.